My name is Krista Allo, clinical pharmacist, and I turned into a diabetes health coach and host of the Angry Pharmacist podcast. If you want to learn how to define your best life and have the courage to live it, you should be listening to the More Than Corporate podcast with my good friend, Amber Furman. Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate podcast. I am super excited for the interview this week with Dr. Krista Ello. Krista is a clinical pharmacist turned diabetes health coach who's on a mission to make the world of medications make sense again. Her current mission is to help people with diabetes live well with minimal medications, and she's been successful in coaching hundreds of diabetes patients off of medications entirely. She is the host of her own podcast called The angry pharmacist, where she shares her experiences in the world of healthcare and the big misses that have occurred, particularly in the treatment and management of diabetes. I had so much fun recording this episode with Krista, and we dig into so many topics that are just completely invaluable, including the role medication plays in diabetes, the role that scientific research plays in how we understand medicine and this one-size-fits-all treatment to diabetes. Krista is really passionate about the idea that if it was any other type of illness, there would be treatment plans. And yet with diabetes, sometimes it seems like you're just expected to be on insulin your entire life. And her work with her coaching clients has shown that it doesn't have to be that way. We talk about something that she mentioned from the pharmacy field, but that translates into so many other professions. And that is the idea that when you're working with patients in or clients in a educated field like law, medicine, pharmacy, that they kind of train the human out of you. And the idea of how you can connect with your clients becomes this struggle between, you know, walking the line of the science or the legal field or the medical field and connecting with your clients on an emotional level. We talk about how she has bridged that gap and how important it was for her success and her sanity to be able to be human with her clients. We talk about Krista's work in the diabetes field, her work as a pharmacist, and her idea, obviously, of success and where she's taking her podcast and her business from here. I cannot wait for you to hear from Krista. But before we do that, I want to extend an invite to you to head over to the More Than Corporate community and join the amazing group of people on Facebook that are working to motivate each other every day and working towards accomplishing their goals and dreams and aspirations, whatever that is. I am a huge believer that we can all have different goals and dreams and aspirations, and yet we can support each other on that journey, even if we're not all headed in the same direction. Because of that, this community is so amazing and 
the people that are in it are constantly motivating each other. They're constantly interacting and creating a positive environment for you to start your day off in. We have some really, really, really cool things starting in that community here in the near future. Our community conversations where each individual of the community gets an opportunity to do a Facebook Live with me to allow the community to get to know them better as a, as a person and what their goals and aspirations are. We also have a massive mastermind that's coming up out of that community that I would love for you to be a part of. If you are interested in learning more about that community, head over to Facebook. It is a free community. All you need to do is search more than corporate community on Facebook or click the link below in the show notes and click that request to join button. There's just a few questions for you to answer and then I will approve your application and you'll be able to join in that community and start adding value in a way that only you can. I look forward to communicating with you over there. However, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this conversation with Dr. Krista Ello. Krista, thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm actually really excited to have this conversation with you. I am so excited. So we had an opportunity to connect for just a little bit before we decided to do this recording. And you're like my spirit animal. You're hilarious and I love it. <laughs> so um, we're going to get into so much about your story, including your podcast, which I'm in love with, The Angry Pharmacist. But before we do that, let's learn a little bit more about you. So tell me what it was like for you growing up and what you thought your life was going to be like when you were a kid. Well, you know, I got some, I got to tell you, my parents know how to give a lesson. Okay. <laughs> they gave some really, so they really set me up for success there. But growing up, you know, I was growing up, I had those five other siblings or four other siblings, grew up in the country. We kind of had adventure. We had to move here, move there, move there. That's just kind of how life took us. Right. And it was only later looking back when I realized that we had to make all those moves because my father refused to bend on what was right right? So he would lose a job being asked to do something, right? And be like, I, you know, I can't live with myself. If I do that. So, you know, wow. yeah. Leave me. So, so, you know, I'm the third child and I was the first girl. Okay. Okay. So I was a daddy's girl, but he didn't, he always let, you know, he let me do anything that I wanted as far as like, you can use a tool. It doesn't matter that you're a girl. You can do that. It doesn't matter that you're a girl kind of thing. Right. So in that way I was never limited. Hallelujah. Okay. Hallelujah. Yeah. And I remember him always telling me that you can make a living and make a life out of doing anything if you love it and if you're passionate about it. If it's such it, a great lesson yes. to learn at a young age. Yeah. So growing up and there was always encouragement, you, you know, to always be better. You know, you did good, but you, are you doing the best you can? Are you, you're doing great. You got all these A's, you got, you got all this, but are you doing the best you can? I remember I came home with a C in high school once and, <laughs> and he's like, well, okay, you don't get C's though. So he kind of called me out on C is reflective of you not putting in what you should have put in. Right. So there was always the calling to be better or be the best version of myself I could be. Right. And to do it with integrity, which looking back now, I'm like, geez, I'm crap. I had the best parents. <laughs> As my, my mother's still alive. My father, unfortunately, passed, but I had the best. But those lessons, when applied in life, are like, oh, 
I know what to do, but it's so hard to do it. It is so hard to do it. Like you learn that lesson, but it never actually gets easier to do. Mm-hmm. Growing up, we're going to get in, into your story and you have a history with clinical pharmacist, mm-hmm. but did you always know that that was the way you wanted to go? Were you always interested in sciences and pharmacists or was there something else on your mind oh. when you were a kid? I actually, so I love animals. I still love animals. I have way too many non-human beings in my home. And so I was actually, so I love knowing how things work, like down to the minute level, like really nerdy stuff. Think the nerdiest thing in biology, totally into it. Okay. Biochemistry, so love it. Okay. Because I get to know how things work. Has anybody ever told you that you're odd? (laughs) <laughs> every every person I have ever met. I tell my brother the same thing. I'm like, you like biology? Like that's yeah. not normal. But we I... need people like that because that's certainly not me. But you know what though? It's amazing. When you learn that stuff, you you understand how incredible the human machine is. And you're like, oh, we're so capable of so much more. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry to interrupt you. No, that's okay. Snarky so, comments. So keep I going. I love the snarky <laughs> comments because I have been called weird by just about everybody except daddy. Except daddy. So <laughs> I actually was going to go to vet school. I was all set up. I had the curriculum. I had the grades. I had the professional review board, right? And there was a point where I was working as a vet tech and it hit me that I am not doing this the rest of my life. And that was because somebody asked me to hold an animal that they were about to put down. Okay. Now if this animal was suffering and dying anyway, I have no problem with that. I've actually done it, but it wasn't. It was a court order by some friend of a friend of a judge to put down this dog who didn't do a dang thing. And I'm like, I am not doing that. Oh, and that's the day, you know, that this wasn't for me. And, you know, it's interesting when you say that story, what I go back to is what you learned from your dad as far as like, these are the things that are right. And these are the things that are non-negotiable because that's one of those situations that you get put in where what you're being asked to do in your career completely goes against every moral Mm -hmm. code that you have and you have a decision to make. And so I, I told the vet, I will not help you hold this animal. There's another vet tech that will do it. Okay. But that was, I I was not going to get involved at all. And it was kind of like the universe being like, yeah, you love animals. You can help them somewhere else. You know, you don't have to be a vet. And I'm like, all right. And then figuring out I was, I was going to be a pharmacist. That's a whole, that was a whole different three or four years of what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? Cause I was setting myself up all those years to be a vet working in vet offices, working as an assistant, helping with surgery, learning everything I could. Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, I think we Whoops. all have those. Like everybody has that moment where they're like, well, this didn't turn out like I planned. So nope. let's regroup. And that regroup phase can be painful okay. as you're trying to figure out what to do. So you decide that pharmacy is it. How did you find the pharmaceutical world? So that so that found me actually. I learned really what pharmacy was actually after I was in school. And what I did, again, you're going to think I'm a giant nerd, and I totally accept that, is I went to Temple University Pharmacy, you know, website, and I looked at their curriculum. I looked at what I was going to be learning. I looked at what I was going to be able to internalize, and I'm like, yes, look at all this nerdery. Give me some more. There's biochemistry (laughs) this, and like chemistry this, and, you know, medicinal chemistry that. And I'm like, yes, give me some of that. 
because I love knowing how things work. Uh, and actually, you know, I had a biology degree before that, obviously, because I had to do the pre-professional stuff for vet school. And even in there, I, I learned about meds and receptors and, you know, G-coupled proteins and all kinds of things, the way the human body works. And I'm like, yes, give me some more of that, please. Give me some more of that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So you decided to go to pharmacy school and then you were actually a clinical pharmacist, which is different than just a pharmacist, right? Well, we go through the same school. So okay. yes. So if you see a pharmacist, hug them because they have been in school a long time. It's like minimum six years. Well, don't hug them right now, but you know, <laughs> <during working>. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, they might look at you weird, but uh Actually, I think you're a that. terrorist, right? You know, like, yeah, I got to see that. Keep actually, the so. corona away from me. Right. But what I did, I went through, I had a biology degree and then it's another four years professional in pharmacy school. And then it's two years of residency training. So two more years being broke <laughs> to be, you know, a medication expert, but an expert at application therapeutics. So a pharmacist is, you know, the right drug and the right person at the right time for the right reason for the right reason, I want to say that again, for the people in the back, for the right reason, <laughs> at the right dose, at the right dose, for the right reason is very important. And so you can become ninja. You can become ninja at that. Um, and I got ninja at chronic disease. And I got board certified in that. And I'm like, okay, here I am. I've arrived. I'm an expert. So what do we do now? <laughs> so I have to ask you to take your resume and put ninja on it because that's the best description I think I've ever heard. So you are now a ninja of pharmacy. I'm a pharmacy ninja. So you are going through school. You're going through your um, residency. You're working in chronic disease. And yep. at what point, or first of all, how long did you work as a pharmacist? Well, um, after residency, residencies got over in 2012. And so I was working seven years before I'm like, something ain't right. Well, that's not true. I was saying that for a little bit, but finally, you know, you hit that wall where you can't pretend anymore. Yep. And, you know, yeah. And you just like, no, seriously, Christy, you can't, you can't keep doing this. Right. So um, now I am still considered a pharmacist, of course, licensed, blah, blah, blah. But I was work. Yeah. I worked um, seven years in different settings you know, with the evil insurance and companies, you know, getting on the inside of that and then the specialty <laughs> pharmacies with their, you know, their biopharmaceuticals, which are very high tech. And, and I finally arrived at the, in the primary care office. This is the show for pharmacists. Okay. The show for pharmacists is you have your own office with your own nameplate. It says, Dr. Krista Ello, and the nurses <laughs> bring the patients to your door here, Dr. Ello, here's your next appointment. That's, that's like living the pharmacist kind of dream that okay. keeps you out of the pharmacist trenches, um, which is, let's just say community is the pharmacy trenches, right? So yeah, I worked seven years doing all that. And in the last setting, when I had arrived in quotes is when reality knocked me back in my hiney and I'm like, darn it. <laughs> so what was it that you were saying, you know, this just isn't what I, this isn't the best use of my time and my knowledge. And there's so much more that I can be doing. What kind of was it that led you down those conclusions as much as you can talk about that? As much as I can talk about that? Or as much as you're willing to? Uh, you know, let me tell you, the gates are open now. So <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is? It's the, the more you're in there, the more you're in the medical field and being a pharmacist and living the pharmacist, you realize people have a 
different perception of what pharmacists do. All right. And so the first thing about that is um, people think pharmacists are pill pushers, that we push the drugs, that we try to get you. That is not true. That is not the truth. And year to year, I'm like, why do people think we're, I have no, what are you talking about? We're not the pill pushers. We're the ones jumping in front of the patient saying, wrong dose, wrong drug, wrong dose, abort, <laughs> abort, abort. And people don't know that. And they don't know that. Here's a little secret for you. Okay. Just for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else. Everybody else plug your ears. As a pharmacist, when we catch errors, which is daily, hourly to minute to minute, we can't go out to the public and say, we found an error that your doctor wrote, your provider wrote, we found an error. We don't tell them that. We call the doctor and talk to them. We talk to the doctor face to face and say, let's do something different. Okay. So they kind of don't know that we're jumping, you know, we're landing on the sword for them. Um, so maybe that's the misconception. So that grates on you year after year. I got to tell you. From I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Especially knowing that for me, it wouldn't necessarily be I mean, there is an ego side of it, of being like, nobody knows I do this. But for me, right, right. when I think about it, I think about like the constant worries of like, if I miss something, is somebody going to die? Like you're that That's last it. line of defense. You nailed it. You <laughs> nailed it. So in the primary care field, I'm in my office writing my own scripts under the umbrella of, you know, the, the federal umbrella. And every pharmacist in the community setting is thinking just what you're thinking. That's why we're all stressed out. We're all stressed out. And there's lots of prescriptions going out that I have no idea about, you know, and when somebody came to my clinic and the doctor provider's like, Hey, figure this out really is what they did. They're like, lead me down the hall, figure this out. I got you. I got you. Um, what I figured out was sometimes really scary, like a big miss or a near miss. And I'm like, whew, somebody was watching you today and sent you down here because this would have been ugly. What we have is an abundance of pharmaceutical products to choose from over decades of production and the providers just not getting what they need to use them correctly um, or living within what we what I call medical silos where they're, they're just focused in on symptom. Here's that drug for the symptom, right? And it really doesn't match what's going on. That happens a lot. Yeah. And it's super, and a, a lot of times that happens within disease states itself. So like for diabetes, which I coach, and, you know, it finally got to a point where I had to dive deeper into the, the data itself to figure out what I was going to do next to, to fix the situation or to help fix the situation. So you're, you're starting to realize that you can't make the impact that you want to make doing what you're doing. And then you add the stress of constantly wondering whether something's going to slip past you because you... Yep you know, took a break. And so what do you decide is the next step for you as far as taking your knowledge and experience um, and skills and using those to help as many people as possible? Well, you know what? Somehow, somehow I ended up really focusing on diabetes because in the clinic I was working in, which I, I mean, I loved the people there. I really did. I miss them. I worry about them on a daily, <laughs> every day. You know, <laughs> oh my God, what dose of insulin is that guy on? So anyway, um, you know, I was kind of in charge of the whole diabetes panel, if you will. And I took these guys, you know, and really worked with them. But 
I got to tell you, so I'm going to tell you the story of where I realized that part of me was fake and I needed to fix it. Okay. And I had a very, a, a well-known, particularly stubborn patient. And if, when I say that, other people are like, yes, I know who that is. I know who that patient is. I know her. I know him. And yeah, but you know what? I loved her. I love her. And she came into my clinic and we, she had diabetes and she had a lot of worries and it was out of control and her sugars were high. And I, I gave her the best clinical assessment I, you know, that money could buy, you know, because I was pretty good at diabetes. I'm like, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do, Miss P. And she looked at me. She's like, I've tried that before. It didn't work. I'm like, well, let's do it this way. All right. And I'm not going to go into that because it's boring. I'm just, it, it, it's just boring. We don't need to talk that clinical today. <laughs> <laughs> but we were, I, I was giving her what is considered not the standard, but like, you know, the treatment, the royal treatment that this is the best evidence we got, right? Which was a lie at the time. I didn't know it was a lie at the time, but I'm just going to confess to the universe. It was a lie when I said it. <laughs> in my confessional right now. So she goes and does what it does, what I ask her to do. And I know she does cause she's that stubborn or she's going to show me. Right. <laughs> I know she um, and she comes back and nothing's different. Nothing's changed. Her A1C is not lower. Her sugars are not lower. Nothing's improved. Her symptoms are not better. So why didn't it work? If it's the best, why didn't it work? It's supposed to be the best evidence, the best. And I'm just like, okay, so is it me or is it right? So, and this is the moment where I think we are tempted to blame the patient. The patient must yeah. not have done what I told her to do. The patient must not have followed instructions. No. And I'm like, listen, and I could see it in her face. Like I, I had to, I was like this clinical pharmacist. I, the doctors told me I was so good at what I did and I did nothing for this woman. Ugh. So she's just like, I could see her complete and utter disappointment in me. And you know what? I felt it and I felt it right through me. And I'm like, if I'm supposed to be the best, then why aren't I the best? I'm supposed to be good at this. Why aren't I good at this? I could have, should have helped this woman. And so she actually ended up being my last appointment of the day. And I, and I said goodbye and totally disappointed in myself. And I shut the door and I'm like, I am missing something. I'm missing something. Something got by me. And so I locked the door um, <laughs> because if I don't, then the next person through was a provider asking me for a drug dosing, right? Um, Please knock. <laughs> Please knock for drug dosing. Please knock for drug dosing. Okay. And I, I dove deep into the clinical guidelines, which the clinical guidelines are every single disease state has a guideline. We go by the guideline. And every single recommendation in the guideline is based on, supposed to be based on a study, a well done, well thought out, well planned, well executed study. And what I found was that was not true for many recommendations. Some of the most common recommendations wow. we have for diabetes, like eat this many carbs, that's based on zero data. Wow. I'm not, I, yeah, you're telling me I felt stupid with a capital <laughs> I'm like, this, here you're bragging on your resume that you're something, something, and you let that slip by you. There's no data to back up what you've been saying for like the amount of carbs or, you know, the amount of fat or whatever. And, now, what I realized was it was just, you know, a couple of people um, who wrote the guidelines kind of saying, this is what we agree on and we're going to do it. So <laughs> <laughs> after feeling stupid and apologizing, um, I found some more studies and these studies were like, hey, if you do this, their sugars actually come down. If you do this, 
their sugars improve and this person got off drugs. And I'm like, why aren't we doing this now? That's a question I can't answer today. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at least I can say that now that I knew that I couldn't keep doing things the way that I was doing things. Right. Cause then at that point I'd probably be intentionally hurting people and I can't lay down at night thinking that. So yeah, um, that was the day. That was the day I kind of, let's say took a right turn. I'm, I always go right when I take a turn. I'm supposed to go right. <laughs> not the direction I was going. Yeah. So did you immediately say, all right, I've got to leave this pharmacy stuff behind and I'm going to now become a diabetes coach and use this information? Or did you try to use your newfound resources in the clinical setting? Yes. So I was helping people there when I finally get, you know, when I was like, okay, I, I can do this new thing that I figured out based on the study that actually helped. And people, I did, I applied different, you know, uh, my own kind of guidelines. And it was really simple, really D avoid the, sh the foods that raise your blood sugar. Who knew? Who knew? Eat the, <laughs> foods, eat the foods that are more nutritionally dense and are more closer to their natural state. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> and people were getting off drugs. Their insulin doses were being cut down to not even in half. We're talking like 75% off insulin. And we was making this huge impact, but you know, I was still working with doctors, providers, PAs, nurse practitioners, and they were very like, they were very like still like, you know, fat is bad and eat all this bread that's made of wheat, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, that's not helping, that's not, you know? And um, now with diabetes in particular, we give them drugs just because they have diabetes. If you have diabetes, then you get drugs just because you got it. Oh take my this gosh. aspirin, take this cholesterol pill. And I was no longer willing to do that because I saw the data. I went through the studies again. Um, and actually, the, a lot of the data is hidden in plain sight. And so we, we just, it's funny. And it got really hard to keep doing that. I can imagine. So that led you to kind of where you are now, where you're taking all of this stuff that you've learned through your years of wonderful biology and um, <laughs> pharmacy and, and learning about drugs and all this stuff. And now you get to take this new knowledge and you use it in your coaching business. Can you talk about kind of what you do a little bit in your coaching business? Well, I specifically, and can I just say that I, if I knew I was going to be an independent diabetes coach 10 years ago, I would have LOL'd at that point, but <laughs> I find it very natural to, to take somebody who has diabetes and I'm like, let me, first of all, let me show you your disease in a different light. Okay. Because the first thing I have to fight is mindset, right? Because people who had diabetes, they've been told just be quiet and swallow the pills. I literally heard a doctor say that I'm not even going to pretend just be quiet and swallow the oh. pill. You're going to be on these forever for types, you know, for type ones, they need, they need insulin. I got that, but, um, just get used to it. And they give them this hopeless bleak outlook, which we wouldn't give cancer patients. You know, if somebody got cancer, we'd be like, you can fight it. You can do it. Keep your spirits up. Stay positive. When it comes to diabetes, they're like, take the pills and shush and shush about it. All right. Not everybody can I just come on, but most of the time it's really what the outlook is. And so the first thing I attack is mindset. Like, no, no. We can do this. We can, we can get you off some of these meds. We, get, we can make some changes. No, you don't need to eat every hour. You don't need to eat every hour. People have been told that. And I just, 
re kind of rearrange their life that so at the point where they're comfortable with and their sugars come down. You know, it's so interesting. And we, you know, we've talked about this a couple of times when we've had the opportunity to connect, but um, what you just said about accepting a certain fate, because that's what we've always been told is so heartbreaking, but there are a few different areas where that exists. And you know, another one that's right up there is thyroid disorders. Like people are told this thyroid disorder, you have no choice. And I've been put in that, in that, um, category where I've pushed back on my doctor and I'm like, I know that I'm not doing everything that I should be doing in my life. And until I know that I'm doing everything right, I'm not going to let you put medication in my body because I don't know what that's going to do to me. And so those are the two that really come to mind is a thyroid disorder and diabetes where every other, not every other time, but the majority of other times you go to a doctor, they're like, how can we fix you? And then you get those types of things and they're like, there's nothing we can do for you. Just swallow this pill. Like you said. And, um, the fact that you are taking this research and knowledge and, um, I'm going to say experimentation that's gone on with different foods because it's all trial and error, right? Of like what works for each different person. For each different person, yeah. Um, and the fact that you're taking that into a coaching setting where you can get people off of their meds and really improve their life is so amazing to me. It feel, you know, it feels amazing, and it feels really like right when I'm on the phone with somebody and we're going through stuff, and you know, they're telling me well, my clothes fit better. And she's they're like, you know what? My vision is better in the last week. It's like, yes. Alleluia. Alleluia. Like you, I don't know where you would have been in 10 years. Where would you have been in 10 years going where you were going? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So this may be a difficult question to answer and I understand if you can't, um, but do you see the pharmaceutical world kind of catching up with these I'm going to use homeopathic natural things um, as far as like doctors trying alternative things or are we just not there yet? Well, so here's my take on that. Okay. Cause farm, the beginnings of pharmacy were in the natural world. We took, you know, we took plants and made them into aspirin and we, we knew that arsenic was natural in nature and we took advantage of that and made substances. We just refined them and solidified them, made them concentrated. So right now, what we're discovering, the people who are paying attention, is that we've kind of been eating wrong for a really long time. <laughs> All right. So wait, if- wait, 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 wait. You mean fast food's not the way that I should take my health? <laughs> I mean, I know. Shocked. I know. I almost fell anyways. back on my ear. <laughs> what? It's actually what? what and how? You know, as soon as you label something healthy, people think it's a. I can eat as much as I want of that, yes. and I'm just like, stop it! Don't yeah. do it. You know. So, um, you know, it's actually coming to the point where our nutritional information and knowledge is starting to finally maybe start a movement of where we weren't eating right. We had some stuff wrong. Fat isn't the ultimate enemy, you know, and we need to catch up there. But, but, you know, people, I've seen studies where people are taking something like an avocado and kind of trying to take that one substance out of it and put it in a pill form uh, yeah. and call it, you know, call it natural homeopathic. And I'm like, hold the phone, brother, <laughs> or they could just eat the avocado, right? 
right? So it's tricky. They're trying to trick. I'm like, don't do that. Don't do that. Just eat the avocado. Avocado, $1.50, 30 pills of whatever they're going to pull out of it, $50. You know, do you see how that works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes Hulk angry. It makes Hulk angry. It makes Hulk angry. So that's the second thing going on your resume. You're now the Ninja Hulk. So so as far as like your story to me is so intriguing because what I see is somebody who has this motivated motivation and desire to help people and is put in a system like this conveyor belt system of mm-hmm. treating people as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of that person that's walking the opposite way. And Love that's it. not a comfortable place to be. So can you kind of talk about what you've had to except like internally when it comes to your colleagues and things that are going on there that understanding that opinions of you may not always be what they would be if you were just going down the pill road. Oh my goodness. So I think some of my colleagues have like silenced me, like, you know, unfriended me. Listen, doing this is a little bit like having a wedgie. Right. Like at first you're really uncomfortable, but then eventually you kind of get used to it. (laughs) But you know, so the ironic, it it is a little uncomfortable because I'm like, okay, so I guess I'm doing this. Pharmacists really don't do this, but I'm doing it um, because I am good at helping people with diabetes. I am helping people see things differently and have those moments where they're like, oh, yes, yes. So you know, if you have that, I feel like you kind of have to use it. Um, but it was really uncomfortable during like meetings where somebody would be like, this person ate like three eggs. So we got to check their cholesterol. I'm like, no, we don't. (laughs) (laughs) No, we don't. That's a complete waste of blood. I personally, you know, because, you know, there's a set, like almost a set education you get. And as you're going through the training, you rely on your preceptors a lot to give you that because there's so much to read on your own and you're doing a lot of reading, but you can't read every study. You rely on your preceptors. And when you come to that, that realization that they were wrong when they taught you that too, is like, Oh man. So now it's all me with my wedgie. Really- well, <laughs> with your wedgie. Um, so, and I want to make clear that we're not necessarily saying in this conversation that people are intentionally doing this for, no. for ill motives. Like it mm-hmm. just happens in all, I mean, you could go down this philosophical debate about everything that we think about everything in life if we really wanted to. But really? the reality is like this all starts with people who have good intentions, who make a statement. And that statement ends up not being 100% accurate because there's new research that comes out, yet that statement lives on on. and informs future things and we just get further off the path. And then when people like yourself come forward and start to talk about things, all of a sudden, like that's kind of the pushback, Um, which honestly, if we really want to take a look at this cycle, the people who made the statement in the first place were probably in the same position that you are, where people were like this this is crazy. Exactly. It's not going to work. And so it's kind of the cycle that we're on that I think we see in all areas of our life of statements informing future decisions yeah. that affect society as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. Medicine has gotten kind of a little bit out of control where, you know, we have, you know, they're saying we have a provider shortage, but I'm like, well, we actually probably just have a really 
like overabundance of people who are sick and ill because we haven't quite done things right. Yeah. And, and also I will say as a society, we kind of get into this idea that like things are just fixable, right? Like consequences don't necessarily matter when it comes to health because somebody's going to be able to fix me until they're not. Right. And so, um, and it normally comes to this point where you're in your thirties, forties, fifties, that you realize that all of these decisions that you've been making your entire life are now catching up with you. And you're getting to the point where you know, band-aids aren't working anymore, which is all medication is. Most medication is just a band-aid. Why don't we get underneath and start to attack what's causing the symptoms instead of treating the symptoms? And the reason I bring that up is because, you know, this podcast is all about kind of going your own way and figuring Mm -hmm. out what's important to you and defining your own idea of success And everything in your story fits into that of like addressing the underlying feelings that you're having, addressing Mm -hmm. your underlying wants and desires and quit Mm -hmm. treating your symptoms of this is what society wants me to do. And so I just, that to me is what speaks out so much about your story. You know what? You, you put that perfectly, both with the medicines, like it, because that really is all we're doing. It's like you have, oh, you have heartburn. Here's a pill. You have high blood pressure. Here's a pill. They say there's no, we don't know the cause of high blood pressure. Of course, there's a cause of high blood pressure. Of course, that's why it's high. Let's figure it out. Okay, <laughs> let's figure it out. I actually have a really interesting story um, about how we just treat the symptoms instead of really digging for the cause. Which honestly, can I just say, doesn't always take a lot of digging. It takes like five extra minutes five extra questions, you know, realizing the person in front of you, the patient is lying and (laughs) and calling them out. (laughs) So, you know, I, I, there's this gentleman who was sent to my clinic and the PA whom I love, she's like, he's got a headache. I'm like, okay, what kind of headache? Like bad, like no light, no sound, no. Okay. Let me take a look. And so in, in their head, they're like, what's the best drug for this gentleman? And it's like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) All of a sudden, this 32-year-old, otherwise healthy man has a massive headache that's crippling him. Let's let's dig a little deeper here. By the time he had gotten to me, he had been through three kind of, you know, Tylenol, ibuprofen. They gave him, you know, a preventative headache medicine, which makes him really groggy. And I'm just like, why are we even to this point? And it's we're to this point because they were treating the symptom. And as I talked to him about his life, what he does, what's his day like, what's he do, we came to realize that he had a lot of back problems. And he used to do chiropractic work, but he stopped that because for whatever reason, you know, his, his fiance was actually in the service and she was, you know, overseas, you know, and so he was kind of living like a bachelor, you're not, you know, <laughs> you know, no offense, gentlemen, but you know, you get a little, I'm going to play a game and eat some junk food kind of thing. And I'm like, before we send you to neurology and have them give you the big drugs, why don't you go back to your chiropractor and get an adjustment and we'll see what happens. And he got one adjustment and the headache (laughs) went away. I'm like, we were about to inject you with some stuff. And it was just, you need, your body was all out of whack. Your physically, your spine was out of whack. That was it. But that's what would have happened if I hadn't been like, let's dial it back a second and just dial it back. You are physically like slouched. You had a pinched, half pinched nerve. There's problems. He was about to be in drugs for life. 
Well, and so you had said something previously to me that really hit home both in the legal field, in the medical field, in everything. And it was when we were talking about, we get, we go through this education and we look at, these are the symptoms. This is how we treat this. This is what we do. And I mentioned before this conveyor belt and you forget that you have a human being in front of you. And you forget yeah. that you have a person and you, you described it as um, educating or training the human out of you. I like that statement has stuck with me so much since we connected a couple of weeks ago, because I realized how much I do that in my career, how much mm-hmm. I see people and I see a legal issue instead of a person. And I think that there's a lot of reasons for that, that are like self-preservation, like trying to trying to make sure that we're separating ourselves from clients that we may not be able to save and save ourselves that emotional hardship. But doing that prevents us from having the connection that is going to get the information that we need to really help somebody. And so that to me is something that's really powerful about what you do. That is my favorite part. And I think when we were having that conversation, I told you, I wish I could teach students and colleagues how to do this because they do they they're like you have to be a professional you have to have excellence you have to have skills and we do okay we do but the person in front of you the patient the patient they have a mom they have a dad even if those people have passed they have kids they have they have problems they have emotions that they're feeling and they're not going to hear a dang thing you say if those emotions and those problems are hanging out in front of them, and if you can't see those, you know, you might as well just, I mean, you might as well just send them home. I mean, you're just a consultant at that point, right? Yeah. You're just a consultant. This is what I think you should do for your body. But all they're seeing is how upset they are about their kid, how upset yeah. they are about their divorce, how they're, you know, they're, they're worried about their health and the anxiety is so high that they can't even see straight anymore. Right. Yeah. So if you don't, if you don't address those, if you can't see the human in front of you, you're not gonna be able to treat them properly. And if you don't let them see the human in you, they're never going to connect. Yeah. 100%. And then whether people really subscribe to the idea that everything is tied to a neurological spot or not, the mm-hmm. reality is there's, there's science behind the fact that there are at least some ailments that are created mentally. And Absolutely. so if you can't connect with somebody and understand the human to be able to figure out whether stress and anxiety, like we've all heard the stories of people who are having chest pain and who are you know fatigued and they're having a hard time accomplishing things and they have mind fog and their doctors can't figure out what's going on. And after test and test and test, they say, I think you're just stressed. And like, that's the impact that stress and anxiety and mentally created mm-hmm. um, things can have on our bodies. And if we're not taking the time to figure out what's going on with a human, we're just, again, putting a bandaid on those symptoms and yeah. waiting until something explodes. Yeah, really. It's like, you know, I, and I see it day after day, you know, when they find, when they can't come to my clinic, when they, when I'm on the phone with them, you know, a lot of the things are, they just weren't listening. They just didn't hear me. And then when, you know, cause they, I think people really generally try to be like, this is what's going on with me. And then they kind of get like shut down because blah, 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 depression, blah, blah. No, no, no. I'm here to fix your body kind of. Yeah. Right. 
And so they sit back in their chair. You can see the whole body language thing happening. They sit back in their chair and they just wait for the appointment to be over. And yeah. it's just a shame. It's a lot of time wasted, a lot of energy wasted. And actually that sadness and depression gets worse. Yeah, because absolutely. They're, they're, not, they're not heard. They're not listened to. And, you know, I think if I could teach this, I'm going to find a way. Angela. You are, you are. And then you're going to, you're going to be able to add a second ninja to your resume. Second ninja. Um, no, well, one of the most powerful things for me was talking to my business coach about a client who had inevitably lied to me. And I found out on the stand while I was cross-examining her that she had, or while I was direct examining her that she had lied to me. And talking to my business coach and she says, well, we need to figure out what's going on in these consults that are causing your clients to feel like they can't be honest with you. And I was like, well, that yes. freaking hurts. Like yes. that, like it's not something that you want to hear, but the reality is how are you showing up in your life that makes people feel like the person that they have trusted with their future, whether it's health or legal or financial or whatever, whether the person that they've trusted to help them get through an issue that mm -hmm. they can't trust them enough to tell them the truth about what's going on. I um, want to switch gears just a little bit to sure. the success part of this. We've talked a little bit about so much actually about comfort zones and, and being willing to go against the grain. But I ask every person this question, what does success mean to you? And how, how do you know whether you're, you're being successful? What's your definition of that? So this was a working definition. Okay. okay. <laughs> right. Success feel, you know, it has to migrate, but you know, it's ironic because a successful pharmacist maybe doesn't look like me. Um, but if you read what a pharmacist does, I'm much closer to our mission than I think where we are now. So success is to me, it's like, are you doing something that you love that you, that you feel, you know, you can feel it when you're like, yes, this is, I'm in my zone, you know, where, you know, Krista goofing off, you know, five minutes ago, and then you're with a patient or with a client, excuse me, and stuff comes flying out of your mouth and you're like, whoa, where did, what ninja said that? You did. <laughs> you did, Krista, because this is what you're supposed to do. Like, and you can kind of feel that. Like, this is what I'm good at. This is what, you know, I can, this is where the impact and that, that when you're, you're doing that day after day and you can feel that that is success because you're living I just feel like I know how woo you want to get, but you're kind of living where you're, you're supposed to be. Yeah. Right. And when you're, when you're, when I was in the clinic and I was like struggling with, I really don't want to prescribe that because of all the stuff I know, you know, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. And so this, um, may not, I'm not, I'm not like a millionaire. I'm not a billionaire yet. Okay. But, um, the impact I make is very real very real and very, very, I mean, it's almost tangible. And that's how I know that this is where I'm supposed to be. I love it. And, you know, it's interesting for me because I've always tied success and fulfillment together and I find that a lot of people don't. So this is an interesting conversation that I've been able to have with people is, um, do you believe that success comes first followed by fulfillment or that you, like, you feel fulfilled because you're successful or that you're successful because you're fulfilled. Yeah, this chicken in the road stuff or chicken in the egg thing kind of, it's hard because, you know, I feel like if you know where success is and you grow that success, you will feel fulfilled. But also, 
when I left the clinic and started this, even though it was a struggle, the fulfillment is you knew this was the right decision. Just be patient and do the work makes you feel fulfilled and that you're, you're on the journey you're supposed to be. Um, so I guess it's by mood. I know that's such a jip, that's such a jip answer, but it's almost, no, it's know, perfect. You know, going day to day, like some days it's like, Lord have mercy. This is a struggle, you know, because you're out there. So as a coach, I get all the commercials for build your coaching. Yes. And I'm like, stop. Yes. Yes. It seems to me like they're trying to make money, the end product of me being successful, like fill out your coaching clinic and you will be, have all this money. And it's like, Ooh, that feels bad. (laughs) Like, you know, it feels kind of bad. Like I, we all need money. We all need to buy things. And I got kids for crying out loud, but this doesn't feel good when it's presented that way. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. Like uh, there's nothing wrong with money being your number one driving force. I think that you're headed for disaster if it is, but there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do agree that so many of the ads that are out there, and I kind of feel like it's because that's the tangible result, right? Nobody, it, it's hard to say, take this course and you'll feel fulfilled or take this course and you'll be happier with your life. That, yeah. that money is a tangible thing that they can try to give you. But the yeah. reality is, it doesn't connect with everybody. It certainly doesn't connect with me. Do I want to make more money? Of course I do. Who doesn't? Mm-hmm. At the same time, am I willing to sacrifice the things that I'm doing? Like you said, the moral compass that I have in order to get there. Um, I've always truly believed that if we're doing what we're supposed to do and we're helping people along the way and we're providing a service, that that money is going to come as a byproduct because mm-hmm. of the service that we're providing. Right. Yeah. As my father said, if you're passionate about something and you love doing it, the money, you'll make a living out of it. Absolutely. That's how it is. That's how it is. I mean, my brother is also a personal trainer and he, he's not in the gym. He's got his own business. Same thing. Same father, you know, so. <laughs> it looks like it's stuck for a bunch of the kids, which is it's good. Stuck. Yeah. So we talk about failure a ton on this podcast. And normally when I'm talking to people, we're talking about like personal failures and things like that. But in your line of work, um, I think it's really interesting that we talked about the trial by error side of things. Mm -hmm. So the idea that you try something and it doesn't work out and then you try something else and you just continue trying until it does. Can Mm -hmm. you talk about how big of a role that plays in your life and in your practice? Oh my God. Listen, the ability to get something wrong and learn, it's so powerful. Like even as a student, I knew, I'm like, I got to take this moment to get some stuff seriously wrong. So I learned that lesson. And so, and so in this new arena where I'm like this independent coach, the failure is, um, okay, well, people didn't like that approach. People didn't like that setup. Um, And you just keep going until you figure out what people really like what setting they're comfortable with, the group coaching, whatever. That's really one of the biggest things. It's so funny. It's such a tiny thing where it's like, do people want group coaching or individual coaching? But, and let me tell you with diabetes, they want individual coaching. I'm just saying it. They just want, they don't want to talk about that business. Of course, Uh, which makes sense. Yeah. They don't want to talk about that. Um, There's some embarrassing stuff that happens, uh, particularly with the men. Um, You know what I'm talking about, man. Okay. (laughs) Send in your love, send in your love, but there's nothing more helpful then figuring out what does not work <laughs> and then yes. moving to the next, move to the next. And actually, I, it's so funny you say that because I had this little note on my screen 
it's so embarrassing. Failure is when you stop trying. Seriously, it's right here. I so love I it. Every day. Failure is when you stop trying. Cause that is true. When you sit down and you're like, that's it. I'm going to binge watch every show I've ever, you know, seen. And that's it. And you're throwing, that is actual failure. You, you know, say. it's interesting that you say that. Um, are you familiar with Steve Sims? Do you know who he is? I know this name. Why so know this name? he's known as the modern day Wizard of Oz. Amazing dude. You should look him up. He does some pretty fantastic things. But he has a book called Blue Fishing. And in that book, he says, you haven't, actually scratch that. That is a good book. But um, Tim Grover in Relentless says, um, you haven't failed until you've decided that you failed. Like yes. until you've made the decision that you failed, you haven't failed. So those are two amazing books that talk about failure. But that to me hit me really hard because we talk about, oh my gosh, I failed. Well, you haven't failed until you I actually failed. say those words. Until then, you're just figuring life out. Figuring so out. I've really loved our conversation and where it's gone today. But before we end, I would love to let people get to know you a little bit more and do a quick random round if you're okay with that. Random. Shoot at me. Let's go. Random. All right. Woo! What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? <gasps> oh, okay. So don't laugh at me. Actually, you can totally laugh at me. But one of my dreams is to be able, okay, you're, you can laugh at me. <sighs> to be able to dress women who have low self-esteem. I know. I know it sounds crazy. No, it sounds amazing. But I would, I see, you know, I've met some of these amazing people and women, they just don't know how the, the power they have like cooped up in there and they just don't, you know, they don't know how to quite ninja that stuff. Right. Um, and so they have these low self-esteems. I'm a woman. So that's why I carry a lot, a lot. Men have their own issues. I, I don't know how to fix a man, but anyway, um, <laughs> but I have, you know, even some of my friends have been like, let me just dress you for the night. And I do. And they just stand up straighter and they're like, they're proud of their boobies. You know what I mean? And they're just like, not that they were out, but you know, just like you could see it. Yeah. I would love to do that. I would love that to be my side hustle. I'm like, yeah. come here, get in here. We're going to put on some sparkly shoes. You're going to work it. And then you're going to feel like a million bucks. And then she goes out and she does what she's supposed to do on this planet. Yeah. I love that so much. That does not sound laugh worthy to me at all. That sounds pretty fantastic. I love it. I love it. Um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Time travel. Okay. Well, um, I've already seen where we've been. Okay. Um, I feel like I would go forward. Um, I feel like I would, but I kind of don't know where. So you know, here's a better answer. Here's a better answer. Cause this is one I've actually wished, you know, the three genies wish, what would you wish for? Yes. Yes. Right? I would love to go back in time and look at myself through the eyes of my parents. Ooh. I would, cause who else sees your potential more than your parents? Like go back and have them look at me and, and like look through their eyes at me as a child and somebody growing because then I could, I would just probably explode with potential. You right? know, it's so crazy that you say that because my podcast episode that I just, I'm, I'm a little behind, just got done recording that's supposed to launch like three hours ago. I, <laughs> I talk about relationships with family members and I talk about like projecting your own feelings onto the people around you. And yes. I feel like 
if we could go back and have what you just said and see the way that our parents really see us, then so many of the family issues that exist because we think people don't understand us would disappear. Like, totally disappear. We would explode with our potential, but on top of that, every relationship would be better because we would realize that it's our bullshit that we're blaming on them. Yeah. Not our, theirs. Yeah. I love power. that answer so yep. much. Love that I answer still- so much. It's still one of my wishes. I'm still writing it down as I wish I could have this. Yeah, I love that answer (laughs) so much. All right, so personality traits. Do you have a skill or personality trait or maybe a superpower that you feel like has been most helpful to you in your life? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, And I just figured this out last year because I read read that book, The The Big Leap, The Greatest Leap by, uh, you know, the fish on the the front. Lord, he's going to, his name is Gay... Anyway, anyway, so I read that book and I'm like, oh, my superpower. Yeah, so let me figure that out. And so I realized that I am a super ninja at problem solving. But okay, I'm not a super ninja at problem solving because I just, when it comes to people problems, I can anticipate, I can anticipate their response based on their body language, their inflection and their voice. Like I know what they're thinking before they do. All right. And so like body language and human, I I don't even know what to call it. It's just like, I know what you're about to do. Okay. I'm not going to tell you that I know that, but I'm going to use it to make you trust me because I already know what you're saying. I already can see your life. I already can see your struggles. It actually just helps a lot because, um, because it's true. You know, it's not like it's a parlor trick. It's like, I, I see you, you know, yeah. from Avatar, remember from yeah. Avatar I see you. I do, I see, do you. see you. Yes. I see your struggles. It's like your um, super ninja, super ninja power at understanding like it's, people. It's very, I have to put a name to it, but um, it's why I win arguments with my husband. I got to tell you, it's why I win every single one. Cause I'm like, I know what you're about to say. <laughs> Or you just wear them down, right? (laughs) Um, And I think the book, in case anybody's making a book list based upon our conversation, is Gay Hendrix. Gay Hendrix. Yeah. Excellent read. Excellent read. Awesome. Well, and that leads into my next question. So books, do you read them? Are you an audiobook listener? Are you a podcast listener? Like, How do you like to consume your information? So I definitely am a little bit of an old school reader. I like holding the book. I like seeing the words. Um, because when I listen, it's different. It's, it's a different part of my brain. Yeah. Right? So I've actually listened to, to Gay Hendrix and written and, you know, read Gay Hendrix. Um, so, and, and there's stuff I missed for sure. Yeah. So I do it that way for sure. I, I do like podcasts. I got to tell you, I think I'm a little bit behind in the podcast game, even though I just started one, you know, I think, um, but they're going to be my new favorite thing. But I also know, again, I have to see things. Seeing yeah. things is very important for me. Yeah, I I um, have learned that that's my best way as well. Is I listen to an audiobook, and then if there's stuff in there that I'm like, oh, I need to just I need to explore that more, then I end up reading it. So I mm-hmm. totally get that. What book have you recommended to people the most? Uh, let's see. Um, so I, I recommended that one. Uh, I have read with let's see Joe Dispenza's series there about breaking the habit of being yourself. And he's got a new one out being, uh, being supernatural or becoming supernatural, really great stuff about how, again, we would just explode with potential if we weren't carrying around so much crap, right. If we weren't, you know, so, so bogged down with negative emotions, that's a good one. Um, I have a whole bookshelf over here. Let's see. The marshmallow effect is a good one. Yeah. Just a lot of, 
not a, God, I love reading. I mean, I'm looking over it there. I'm like, what am I reading right now? <laughs> the other one that I have recommended to, to clients back in the day is um, The Body Keeps Score. Oh. The Body Knows Keeps Score. Uh, that sounds that intriguing. Talk, and that talks about how trauma and the body really holds on to trauma, emotional trauma in certain ways. And eventually it's going to come out in some way. Yeah. Right. So the bearing of emotion and the bearing of trauma, it's going to come out some way because it can't. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, it has to. I like that. I may have to put that on my list. Yeah. So I am a music nerd and I always have to ask people, what is your pump up song, your motivation song? What kind of gets you out of bed in the morning right now? Oh, so right now. So right now, can we put an asterisk on that? Because we can, because for me changes it changes daily. But Daily. It's so funny because I always wake up with a song in my head and I don't know how it got there. I think it's my father <laughs> doing this, right? I is it always like- the same song? No, no. Okay. It's like the song of the day. It's like a little joke in our, in our family. It's like, oh, well, I start singing a song in the kitchen and mom's like, oh my God, I dreamed about that song too. It's a song <laughs> of the day. I'm like, oh my God. Hall of Fame right now is the one that gets me pumped up, you know? Living in the Hall of Fame. Oh. <laughs> I love it. The body's going to know your name. That helps me. That helps me because I know as I kind of keep moving forward and helping people, I can, I can keep making that impact. Love and, it. You know, I don't always get the, hey, this happened to me, you know, Krista, and because you told me this one thing. You don't always get that. You just kind of assume that that's happening. Um, in this role, though, I do get a lot more feedback of, I'm down 14 units of insulin. Thanks to you. I'm down 15 units of whatever. I I'm love it. Pounds. Yeah. It's got to make you feel so good. So good. It is. Yeah. I actually, I get really excited because you know, I'm hoping that when people see these successes, they're like, see, it's real. I, I really did help that person get off that drug. <laughs> I love it. You can, too. you can do it. You just got to make some changes that you're okay with. Yes. Right. right? So yeah. morning routines. Do you have one? If you do, what does it look like? Morning. Oh, you had to ask me that one. Come on. This is random round though. So good question. Yes. Um, so that's changed because right now, I'll, you know, the kids are like all up on me. But so I've had to get up earlier, start to get, get up earlier. Now I'm a prayer. I pray. I pray the rosary. It's what I do. Okay. So I've had to figure out a time to say that. So I say that I've started going on a walking meditation, right? Um, but I promise I brush my teeth and wash my face <laughs> because nothing wakes you up like scrubbing the zoobs. You got to scrub the zoobs and scrub the face. That way you don't fall right back to sleep. So that's. <laughs> it, it is so true. It is so true because I am so notorious true. for getting out of bed, doing like my gratitude journal in the morning and then being like, okay, I was thankful back to back sleep. To the, yeah. And <laughs> I guess, it's funny. That it's so funny you say that because this morning I got up, I brushed the zoobs, I, I washed my face. I got real clothes on ish, real, you know, and I sat down to meditate for a second before I walked and I, I straight up fell asleep. <laughs> I, I love closed it. My eyes, the music came on, and I don't remember anything. So. I love it. So, as far as this conversation, I've loved this conversation so much, and I'm sure that people are going to listen to this and be like, I have to know that lady. So, okay. um, no. where can people connect with you if they want to? And um, I am so sorry. I talked about your podcast in the beginning. Oh. We didn't talk about it a ton, well, at all during the interview. So, where can they find your podcast as well? Oh, that's okay. I mean, it's on. Um, so even my clients, they find it on Spotify, the angry pharmacist. And I don't know where that name came from, uh, probably cause I get angry when stuff doesn't make sense. <laughs> okay. So I'm the angry pharmacist. Um, I'm also on Facebook as, uh, Chris Allo, uh, diabetes health coach. 
And I send people to stophighsugars.com. That's where I live as a coach. So people can connect and, you know, get started, see what all the hype's about. I always have one conversation with everybody first. Okay. Love Just it. before we get going, because you got to you got to talk to somebody who's going to be bossing you around for six or eight weeks, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, you got to know whether you're a good fit because you know, yes, every yeah. client's not for you and you're not for everybody. So, and that goes for everybody here. So. Right. Perfect. Well, we will go ahead and put those in the show notes so people can reach out and connect to you. Um, but I Yay. greatly appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us today. And I've loved your insight into success and pharmaceutical world and just life. I think that you're such an amazing soul. I bow to your soul. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.